Hello, welcome to some Derbs Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Gen Con. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it is fairly simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And if there is any convention that screams games, it's PAX. But also Gen Con. <laughs> For people who don't know, Gen Con is the, is the tabletop and board game... E3 or PAX. It is the most important convention for people who are playing lots and lots of board games, lots and lots of card games, lots and lots of tabletop games, um, and was founded by Dungeons Dragons creator, uh, that guy who's famous who I can't Gary remember. Gary Guy. Gary Guy. Yeah. Wow. What an awful thing for me to say on this podcast. I'm, I'm really beat you guys. That's why, that's why I'm really bad at this intro. But anyway, so Gen Con is the, the mecca of some of the oldest traditions in uh, gaming and, like, tabletop gaming. Uh, and it is this coming week as of time of recording, which is why we wanted to put together uh, a, gem, a Gen Con Tools and Tricks Survival Guide. <laughs> yeah, a um, little bit of history. Games, like Buddy mentioned, started with Gary Gygax. I forget what year, but it was held in Lake Geneva, which is why it's called the Geneva Convention, um, which is also a pun based on the Geneva Convention, uh, the the wartime Geneva Conventions, which was uh, appropriate because initially Gen Con was uh, a wargaming convention, um, and it's grown into something bigger. Uh, in fact, the only game that has been at Gen Con for all 51 years, probably 52 this year, I think it's 52 this year, um, is like an airplane, a model airplane dogfighting game um, that proudly presents its badge every time you, you walk past. It's like, oh, we've been here all, all 52 Gen Cons. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's grown into something much bigger. Um, tons of tables, tons of rooms, tons of uh, role-playing games uh, sponsored by industry giants. Um Weirdly, it's like primarily sponsored by Paizo in a lot of ways. So Wizards has this kind of Wizards of the Coast has this weird relationship with it because like Magic has a presence, but D and D itself kind of doesn't in an official capacity. They're much more into like packs unplugged and whatnot. Um, but that's a little bit of I guess like industry drama, I guess rather than like I want to know the drama behind that so bad. I have thought about it. I have like spent nights obsessing about it. Like I'll wake up at two in the morning and be like. I wonder what happened between Wizards of the Ghost and the people at Gen Con. <laughs> because, you know, like, they are such a... Not even just in terms of Dungeons & Dragons, but also in terms of, you know, like, Magic the Gathering, right? Like, they are just a huge, huge force when it comes to that that tabletop space. And there is very little love uh, from them to Gen Con. So, I don't know. I wonder what happened. I feel like there's probably some, like, forum post out there from, like, 2006 where somebody, like, goes in on the drama. Yeah, I, I assume it's more to do with Paizo than anything else. I, I, I bet you Wizards is still mad that Paizo basically ate their lunch with Pathfinder during the four years. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I've got our, our secret internal document of Gen Con Pro Tips. Um, and I'm going to go through our tips one by one to start this off. Does that sound like a good idea to you, buddy? That sounds perfect. All right. Our first section is events. Um, and the first one, and this is very important, is don't go to the Cosplay Deviants after party. It's kind of sad. Um, for those of you at home th that do not know, Cosplay Deviants is essentially like a nerdy burlesque group 
Um, and uh, the Gen Con after party event is exactly as sad as it sounds. It's a bunch of, you know, guys who are greasy and way too horny with some girls who are basically in bikinis dancing at a bar. Um, and it, I felt kind of gross when I went. Um, and the event feels kind of gross. Um, so I wouldn't recommend going to it, but it was, it was absolutely the, uh, the, the saddest event I've ever been to. And I would not go back to it. That Um, sounds horrific. Yeah. It's just awful. And it's not even Uh, like the drinks were cheap and the event costs like $30. So, you know, it's not even like a, like a burlesque show, right? Like it's like a crowded bar with some girls on stripper poles. Um, so, you know, yeah. I, I don't even really know what to say besides that seems, uh, pretty gross and not so, not so good. Um, yeah, I right. feel like I feel like that's all that needs to be said about that. <laughs> Swiftly moving on, uh, the next pro tip is uh, is is that tables of Chen are generally split into two groups. Um, this is important because you will see a lot of events that are listed with like ten person uh, limits, and if you're like us, uh, we're like oh, or in previous years, this year we've got a smaller contingent, but previous years we've had upwards of fifteen people. Um, I think maybe it was only 12, but we've had a lot of people and we were like, okay, we'll pick one of these big events and we'll do it all together. And we ended up getting to split into groups of five. Not that that was a huge deal, but if you were planning and hoping on doing something with your entire group and it's big, the RPG 10 person events are generally split into two, into two groups of five. Uh, yeah. Um, I feel like I should link this to you. That way we can go back and forth instead of me just reading this list off. That's fair. Uh, I definitely remember when the uh, when we got split up because we were in a much bigger group at that time. How it did become a lot harder for us to uh, to kind of coordinate when it comes to you know the events that we wanted to uh, the the events that we wanted to attend and be kind of together for because like well, that was one of the things that was so appealing about Gen Con right like none of us have seen each other in a long time and we all wanted to get together and hang out with you know our friends from college sort of thing uh, but that actually became a, a harder sell I guess I would say just because of the difficulty in organizing ten plus people. Uh, groups across all of the different kinds of events that happen and that ended up sort of having a little bit of like a splintering effect because like you know you're trying to create this this web with everyone uh, getting time with everyone else in a way actually I think that leads nicely into what what is the spirit of number six which is uh, research and book games that are in Starfinder or Pathfinder which is basically like go outside of the of the things that you know play new things that's part of the appeal of Gen Con. I bring this up here because last year we went and a couple of the guys with us, it was their first time going and they basically played 5e the entire weekend and they didn't have that great of a time. Uh, so, and I, and I think that that kind of fundamentally misses the point and it was the thing that I didn't really know so much about my first year um, and so it's a thing, it's, it's a pain that I'd wish to save everybody else. Does that, does that sound right to you, buddy? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, why don't you pull number four from this list since I didn't do it? Number four for Gen Con Pro Tips is true dungeon adventures are not worth it. 
Do not do them. They are pay to win. Anybody who's been listening to the podcast for a long time has actually heard us complain about this before. Like, the real-life true dungeon adventure uh, uh, problem that we ran into a few years ago. Um, The issue there was true dungeon adventures uh, are kind of a scam in a way. And I know that that sounds a little bit harsh, and I guess it is a little bit harsh. Um, but one of the biggest issues with True Dungeon Adventures that uh, that I had personally was going into a system that I wasn't entirely familiar with and being kind of like ushered along by a group of people who weren't very invested in the product. One of the nice things about going to Gen Con is being able to move through and have a good uh, experience with new and excited GMs and DMs who are really looking forward to, you know, making the most of their one shot, right? Whether it's like their their pet system, like 7C, or uh, the, whatever the, the masquerade, not the masquerade. Oh, the, oh, the, uh, the ma- luchador the, one. Yeah, Mask of the Luchador, yeah, yeah. Mask of the Luchador, great. right? Like, these are run by really excited people who love this book, and they know that they're not going to have another chance to, you know, play in or run this game for a long time whereas the true dungeon adventures were almost kind of like an assembly line and they were not only an assembly line it was also an assembly line that was like constantly sort of like biting at you to pay to win essentially um the mechanic here is that at the end of your true dungeon adventure you get you know a couple of tokens and the tokens are items and skills and stuff like that and you can use those on your next go through and get another like random assortment so basically every time you play the game you get like a loot box of content but the game doesn't even seem to be that difficult and it's not like you need the content to progress because they clearly design things so that people who are, you know, like not wearing chainmail or whatever can like can kind of make it through. Um, so the there there was always something a little bit sinister, I guess, about the True Dungeon Adventures that uh, that I did not enjoy, and so that's that's the expert advice. TDAs are definitely not worth it. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm going to watch the next one. And this is actually the previous one because we skipped it. Um, was don't overbook yourself into panels. Um, this goes along with another tip that I had uh, that that I, I fell, fell victim to my first year, which is kind of make sure to buy tickets in advance. Um, uh, because like – so the first year I went – we. It was me in front of the cast, Mark, and we, we just kind of said, we'll wing it, we'll get there, we'll have a great time. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, and we just kind of got there, we're like, we can't really do anything until we book something. So we sat up all night and, like, booked some stuff. Um, this is another part, is probably you want to get in on Wednesday. That's been a significant pro tip. The first time I went... I flew red eye Wednesday into Thursday. I basically just slept the whole day Thursday and missed out an entire day of cool, fun games. So don't do that. Get in on Wednesday if you can. Wednesday night is probably ideal. This year I'm getting in on Wednesday morning. Um, I don't know about you, buddy, but um, and I'm I'm flying kind of early, so that'll give me some time to sleep. All make sure that you will be at full speed on Thursday because it's a whole day of games that you don't want to miss. Um, 
into this, plan your events ahead of time. We just got out of a planning session where we figured out the last couple of events we're going to do. And this don't overbook yourselves into panels thing is kind of the last part of this is uh, uh, this that first year, uh, Mark and I wanted to do a lot of Pathfinder things because that's the things that we were we were into. So we signed ourselves up for a bunch of Paizo panels. And there's some of them that are really high quality. Um, this, is, uh, this is another one of our tips is that the design workshop is a really worthwhile uh, event to go to because they'll talk to you about in in kind of secret terms about some stuff that might be upcoming um this year it's a release year so it's a little bit different there's more q a sessions but those are always kind of fun at least in my experience but you want to do like one or two of those at most um uh our first year we did like four or five of them and like the third one was like the future of paizo products it's mostly like a business sales pitch from uh, the executives. And in fact, I think they moved that event to Wednesdays, which is the trade day um, moving forward, uh, or it has been for the past couple of years and is this year as well, um, which is just kind of like, um, it, they're fun to do, but you you want to you wanna play games at Gen Con. If, if I want to mm-hmm. stress anything, it's go play, uh, uh, play games at Gen Con. Don't go for like GMing seminars exclusively like those are fun to do once in a while but don't go exclusively how do you feel about that buddy i absolutely agree with uh i absolutely agree with that advice i also think that the panels are the panels i had an insane amount of fun with my first year and the second year i was like oh i already kind of heard all of this stuff so i do think that if you are really into a system like pathfinder and you want to kind of get in deep when it comes to the developers and the designers of that system it it is really fulfilling and really rewarding to go to those panels um but i do get the sense that over time uh, the information that you get has a little bit of a diminishing return when it comes to those panels. Um, I do specifically really love those Paizo design workshops, and I think that they are some of the coolest, if not the coolest thing that you can do in Gen Con, um, especially when it comes to being a big fan of Paizo and Pathfinder and what they are looking to um, kind of create in the future. But the... Uh, but the general advice of panels may be worth it on your first trip and you might want to put them aside for the kind of replayability of games for your second. That is, uh, that's some, that's definitely some real advice. Our, well, we kind of hit number five with that. So our sixth point is to research and book games that are not games like Starfinder and Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons. If it's an experience that you have you know, easy access to in your gaming group or your day-to-day experience with your friends. It's generally not very fun to go play that experience at Gen Con because kind of the inherent, I guess I would say kind of close-mindedness to the bigger group games outweighs the ability for you to have the same kind of enjoyment that you would have in a home game. In other words, because you are playing with your friends in most home games, and we talk about this all the time on the podcast, there are so many different house rules and third-party, you know, uh, additions to the game that you're looking for, and people are making these wild characters and these crazy characters, characters with big backstories that have emotional connections to NPCs, and you're just never going to get any of that when it comes to playing a game like Starfinder or Pathfinder at Gen Con because they are inherently one-shots. It's much more valuable to spend your time doing games like Mask of the Luchador, right, or 7C, 
where you don't have easy access to this game or this system and even if you were to play this this system for more time than just gen con maybe it would get on your nerves but for that one kind of four hour slice of the pie it is some of the most fun that you're ever going to have i think that that is absolutely one of the most important tips when it comes to uh when it comes to booking events is look for the new and novel rather than trying to kind of iterate on what you've already been playing yeah and and if you really like you know uh, Adventurers League or Pathfinder Society. Playing one or two games isn't going to kill you, but definitely don't make that your entire weekend. Uh, that's just it's just a wasted opportunity. Um, like Buddy mentioned, uh, the the fact that you're playing in when you're playing in these kind of like sterile environments, the DMs aren't even kind of allowed to bend the rules because theoretically you take this this character on to do other things, and so it's mm-hmm. not it's it's it just it's a different experience. It's not necessarily bad. It's just like not nearly as fun, especially if you, you're intimately familiar with the system. Um, uh, so this next one is, uh, we've noted it down as LARPing with a question mark. But I think I'm going to use this slot to talk a little bit about uh, the couple or the, the mega game that we did last year. Um, because I think that fits kind of well into this. Um, these mega game events, uh, at least that we've done so far, have been super fun. Um, they're essentially kind of like a model UN or like a, or a model congress if you've done any th- of those types of things. But they're generally a little bit more fantastical. The one we're doing this year is called Heavy Rain, which is kind of like a political thriller type of thing. The one we did last year was um, Watch the Skies, which they do kind of every year, which is a uh, aliens invade type of thing. You play different world governments. Um, and they're just big interactive events where you basically role play nations and kind of goof around and do cool things. Um, they're not all, you know, sometimes you hit weird angles on it. Like last year I played a, uh, uh, a corporation in the Watch the Skies game in a game that wasn't super corporation focused, but it was still fun to walk around and yell at people and try and pitch them our weapons defense systems. Um, uh, but those things, they, they, they are a unique experience that you don't often get to do. Uh, does that make sense to you, buddy? Yeah, no, definitely. I think if there's any reason that I am still kind of gung-ho for Gen Con, right? This will be, man, will this be my fifth year going to Gen Con? I think it will be. Um, you know, if there's if there's a version of me that continues for the next 5, 10, 15 years going to Gen Con, I think the mega games are the reason why. They're... You know, like part of the part of the innovation of playing something like Mask of the Luchador or playing something like um, Seventh Sea is mirrored by the mega games, but like they aren't. It, you can't capture that kind of scale, and that's what makes the mega game so special, right? Like it is easy to say, "Oh, well, you should do this because you wouldn't be able to get seventy of your friends together and coordinate this giant fifty-person game or whatever." Because I mean, that is definitely true. But there is something extra magical about being kind of submerged in this kind of immersive alternate reality for you know five to seven hours, kind of on end, where you have goals that are specific and you're working. Working against not just other players, but teams of other players. And I think that that is what makes it kind of uh, so insanely cool to do uh, to do the mega games at Gen Con. I would highly recommend uh, joining the Discord also. They, there's a lot of kind of pre-event 
coordination that's required um, and making sure that you can do all of those things uh, beforehand and knowing, you know, the, the guys are good about this and they'll send you an email and everything kind of along those lines. But doing your homework beforehand will definitely pay dividends down the line. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I actually need to get caught up on uh, on my stuff on that because I realize I just realized I never uh, went and read uh, our packet for uh, for for heavy rain. So <laughs> neither uh, did I. <laughs> so that that is that is actually an important part is read your packet before you go. Right, like we're a couple days out, so it's not a big deal. It's not like we have to do anything yet, but we should. But you, you should make sure you're prepared for these games. Um, there are a couple of games that require preparation. It's usually these big events and. Uh, they're they're fun, but you will get a lot more out of it if you're ready to go. Um, uh, you don't have to go crazy. Some people do. Uh, last year at our mega game, the people playing the USSR brought like communist or no, they were playing Russia and they reformed the USSR in the middle of the game, um, and like in character murdered the people that they were and assumed new roles. It was it was weird, but it was fun. And they brought like borscht and gave it out to people. It was uh, it was it was a neat thing. Uh, they're they're definitely uh, pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool. Events. That was one of the coolest pieces of it, to be honest with you. Was you know seeing people who had clearly done this for years and years and years, kind of come back and you know almost kind of like invite the rest of us into the the fantasy, as it were, by like you know doing stuff like the u.s like turning russia into the ussr type thing i don't know i i think that was some of the that was that was very cool that was that was a very awesome um uh addition to the mega game experience was you know it wasn't just like the organizers it wasn't just the rules but it was also the players who were that dedicated yeah, and, and th- this is actually an, another point I think you bring up about them is you most of these games nominally give you an objective, but they're just kind of like hooks. You should be really focused on role playing who you are, and not necessarily focused on achieving objectives. You win if you have fun in this game more than I think a lot of other games, right? Like, um, like uh, my corporation extracted a journalist from like I think from like China or Russia, and actually sent them to to you guys in India. Yeah. Um, because India but like, really liked for good press. Yeah. And, like, that was, you know, like, told, like our aims were, like, to have the most money. It was like, okay, whatever. Who gives a fuck? Right? Like, it was, it was just a lot of fun. And you can just kind of do what you want. And it's a great time. So um, make sure make sure to role play. Make sure to kind of lean into – be a little bit goofy. I would I would not recommend being too goofy because that could throw off the, 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 uh, the, the, the kind of pace of the game. But, you know, do, don't be afraid to just – play it kind of like a a a, a role playing game rather than like uh you know like a, a game to be won um uh that kind of covers our event tips um i will say there is one category that we are missing that we are theoretically filling this year which is larping uh i uh, have always wanted to larp it is my it is my my moby dick my white whale of incredibly nerdy activities i've done it all except for larping but this year i am part of the boffer play test which is like a a larp game that's happening on one of the nights and i hope it's just the best i just hope it's the best thing ever i'll 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 report back watch this space i'll report back on how on how great larping is later down the line um 
But the next category is what is uh, is what we call logistics, right? Um, because the, and this is something that you don't think of at the time necessarily, um, but once it becomes clear that you know that's what's going on, you can make some real mistakes just by not really planning the the nuts and bolts of your event attendance accordingly. For instance, don't book late games on Sunday. Sunday is the last event or is the last day of the con, and almost everybody is going to be flying out on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. So late games on Sunday are almost always played against this timer and this deadline of getting to the airport and catching your flight before, you know, you head back, uh, before you, you head back home. So even if you would have a good time in, in other circumstances, that space at the end of the day and sandwiched into something that, you know, is typically pretty, pretty stressful and exhausting, like flying, especially after four days of playing in the convention, Booking late late games on Sunday is very rarely worth it in our experience. Yeah, um, stuff ends around noonish, so if you do have a late flight, um, so so part part of this is that inherent to this suggestion is don't book a flight that's too late. Um, stuff ends around midday, and you will kind of be bored for the afternoon, and you're probably better off uh, getting home. Um, that being said. Um, some people are more opposed to Sunday stuff than others. Um, I would say make the me- most out of your Sunday within a reasonable time frame, but just make sure you give yourself plenty of time to get to the airport, get through security. Indianapolis Airport is a very nice airport. On the minus side, all of the food is outside of the gate. Um, so if you want to eat lunch at the airport, you need you 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 uh, you do it before security. Um, there might be some stuff inside, but all of the good food is is outside of the uh, uh, the terminal. Um, so I wouldn't recommend doing it, but, uh, just keep all this in mind. You don't want to be caught with your, your pants down, uh, essentially. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I think I'm going to roll in a couple other travel tips into this. Um, if you're driving, most places don't have, uh, parking, um, uh, and you have to park in a garage, which isn't terrible, but it is a little bit expensive. I think it was like 10 to $20 a night, a uh, last year when we did it, um, Another part of this is if you can, you want to stay downtown within walking distance of the hotel. First couple of years we did it, we stayed at exterior hotels. They're a little bit cheaper, but getting to the convention center is kind of a pain in the ass. You have to take an Uber. The Ubers take like 20 minutes to show up and then another 30 to 40 minutes to get there. Um, if you drive into the convention center, you have to pay for parking at the convention center, which again is like 10 to $25 a day, usually pretty crowded. Usually it's own walk to the convention center. Um, uh, it's a little bit late right now for if you're if you're going this year but for next year be on top of your lottery get in try and get a room downtown because it's uh, absolutely worth it for the convenience perspective uh, we did it for the first time last year and it was absolutely great um, uh, and you know you can just kind of like goof off and not have to worry about getting back to your hotel um, last year we even had an uber driver that uh, uh, what did he do uh, he, he kind of like drove us out of the way and whatnot. And I don't think that's representative. In fact, he might've even just gotten lost And the, the highways of Indianapolis are like so spacious and Indiana and Indiana is so flat that you might not, he not, might not have been able to turn around easily. Um, but, uh, you know, 
that stuff is 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 always offset by staying downtown. So I would highly recommend that. Kind of in that vein for flying in tips, um, you don't have to fly into Indianapolis. You can fly into say Chicago, um, or I guess uh, Missouri. Um, or Detroit. I ha- we haven't done those, but we did do the Chicago one once. And it's like a leisurely three-hour drive. So those are options if your flights to Indy are proving to be a tad too expensive. You, you want to speak to-, to any of those things at all, buddy? Yeah, so this has definitely come up for us uh, over the course of a couple of different years. One of the big things that we realized in the first two years that I went to Gen Con was actually flying into Chicago ended up being pretty insanely cheap compared to flying into Indianapolis. The plane companies have a good understanding of Gen Con, apparently, and flights sell out pretty quickly, and they're pretty expensive when you're going from, you know, whatever regional airport you have straight to Indianapolis. Um, But something that I was realizing was that a lot of the times those flights were either connecting, right? Like, you know, you would fly to Atlanta and then fly up to Indianapolis. But the the flight from, you know, for me, for, from LAX to Atlanta is maybe 350 bucks, And then the flight from Atlanta to Indianapolis is like 250 bucks. And it's like, well, wait a second. Okay, if I could just chop off, you know, 250 bucks by flying into somewhere a little more local then I'm absolutely going to do that kind of thing. And so that's what we ended up doing. We flew into uh, Chicago O'Hare and we rented a car and drove and got everybody in the car. You know, everybody's kind of flights landed at different times, but we all got together. We got a car at the, at the airport and we drove all the way down uh, to Indianapolis from Chicago. And it ended up being about the same, if not a little bit cheaper to rent the car for kind of four, four days and give ourselves access to a car while we are in Indianapolis, um, than to fly in, uh, just because flying into Indianapolis is so expensive for that reason. This year, I'm not even renting a car. I'm actually flying into Chicago O'Hare and taking a three hour bus from Chicago to Indianapolis because that three-hour bus is $30 and a connecting flight would have been 200 And so saving large amounts of money from from the companies that are, uh, I guess we should say charitably, responding to the demand of the weekend <laughs> uh, can be a good trip in there. It can be a good tip in circumventing some of those problems when it comes to price. Um, do you have a good sense for when the best time to buy flights to uh, Gen Con is? Like, what is your what is your sense for, like, if you were to pin a day, right, or a week, or a time of year, when is it that you find the flights are the best? Uh, January or February, which is not something I did this year. But it's – I have always found that, like, the earlier I get on it, the better, the, better the price is. Um, honestly, at the prices they can kind of get up to – I would. I might even recommend buying it in like November and buying travel insurance because um, the travel insurance is usually like twenty bucks, so that if you have to cancel it, you can just cancel it. Um, uh, but you know, the earlier the better, um, within a certain amount, I think. Uh, but yeah, um, and having access to that car, like we talked about, is is very important, or not very important, but much more important if you are staying in one of the outer kind of rim hotels rather than 
uh, close to downtown. Yeah, that's true. That was one of the trip, the, one of the things that we kind of picked up on. I feel like when we were first going out, flying out to Gen Con, a lot of us, you know, we were just getting out of college. We were just kind of starting our careers. And so the idea of dropping, you know, whatever it is, $1,000 uh to to buy out the hotel room through the lottery in downtown it was just like oh no way i'm gonna we're gonna stuff as many people we can into this you know into this hotel 30 miles from downtown and and be and be completely fine but at a certain point yeah you know the 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 time and effort that it takes to go back and forth between the hotel um and the convention center does kind of add up and the ability that we had last year to just kind of walk back and forth to the different hotels and the rooms therein was uh very useful and and made and made the convention a lot more navigable um than before yeah um but i think that's it for that one which is uh (laughs) <laughs> which is a lot to go into for don't book games late on Saturday on Sunday rather. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should probably update this document at some point. Um, but the next point is sign up with friends, but also ride solo. This kind of gets into some of the stuff we were talking about before, uh, which is um, to not be afraid to branch out and try something that maybe only you're interested um, for uh, this year. Um, like for me, that's playing this this game called uh, Dogs in the Vineyard, which is kind of my white whale, which is a a weird RPG that we that I, I've tried to play every year and never really gotten the opportunity to. Um, and I'm doing that by myself. I've always kind of like last year for me, it was I played the Star Wars RPG instead of going to True Dungeon, which turned out to be a good dodge by me, but you know was not guaranteed to be. Um, our friend Zhao plays a lot of uh, plays a lot of board game tournaments by himself. Um, he is, in fact, a national champion for at least one game at this point because he, he just kind of – he enjoys doing that. Um, so don't be afraid to branch out and do something that, ju- you just, that just you wants to do if your friends aren't into it. Um, and, you know, don't be just tied to the thing that you are, that you are always uh, – uh, or that, that everybody else is doing. Um, uh, and I think that's, that's kind of, you know, like make, make Gen Con your own and don't, don't be super – tied to your friends necessarily if you all want to do the same things you know then you know don't let that stop you but um i think it's important it's important for this aspect of branching out that we were we were talking about yeah Um, definitely i mean i will say for i guess my own purposes um i think it is it is hard to branch out and there's like a there's like a um there's an extra sort of like burden on you to find something worthwhile to branch out doing, uh, but it really can be well worth it to spend that time to figure out what is appealing to you and kind of not really be worthy, worrying about, you know, some of the logistics uh, that define, I guess I would say, um, some of the, the of the logistics that otherwise define the experience of playing with friends when you get an event like that it is one of the places where you can have a lot of upside by going out and having fun with people that you've never met before and meeting and meeting new people and new and finding uh new ways to engage in systems that maybe you've already seen plenty of times before we've definitely had instances 
where uh, some of us were thinking about kind of like branching out and didn't make the choice because there is that kind of like, you know, there's a little bit of like fear of missing out for whatever the friends are doing. And there's also kind of, you know, a fear that uh, you're going to have a bad time because you're essentially grouping with a bunch of randos and we all play enough League of Legends to understand how much grouping with randos sucks. Um, but I do think that it's, it is a really worthwhile uh it's a, it's a really worthwhile thing to look out for yourself for, and I would highly recommend it to basically anyone <laughs> that uh, that has the opportunity to to branch out like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want to take the next one? Uh, don't book. Yeah. Back so back this games. is so this is a big one. Do not book back to back games. This one sounds really intuitive, but let me tell you it is not because what ends up happening is when you're looking through and following some of the advice that we've just given you, right? Like you're looking through and you're saying, "Okay, well, I want to play Dogs in the Vineyard and I want to play Mask of the Luchador and I want to play 7C." Well, it turns out that all of those are much less populated game spaces than you would otherwise think. And there's a certain amount of uh and there's a certain amount of kind of temptation in your brain to sort of say well you know the best time for me to do dogs in the vineyard is five to eight on saturday but i also want to do the mega game from you know eight to two a.m on saturday that bleed over of eight to eight oh you know it's that's that's fine well i'll be able to make it work but very commonly you will not be able to make it work games usually start late and run the risk of running over uh, fairly commonly. And it isn't exactly uncommon for people to kind of walk up, you know, 15 or 20 minutes after the game has started to kind of say, hey, uh, ooh, I had a ticket for this, you know, um, when they they might have been replaced at the table by someone with, uh, with generic tickets. That is the danger when you're booking back-to-back games. And it is a real danger, especially when you're kind of looking for the diamonds in the rough out there, I guess I would say. This also kind of... This speaks to something else that I want to quickly um, sort of mention, which is like, don't plan the perfect schedule because it will absolutely not work out. There are there were what fifty thousand people who went to Gen Con two years ago, forty nine thousand people who went last year. There are a lot of people. No, it was like ninety thousand two years ago for like the uh, for the fiftieth anniversary. But you know, okay. it, it keeps going up. It keeps going yeah, up. It's a it, lot it keeps going up. A ton of people are going to Gen Con. A ton of people want to play these games, um, and that is going to mean that you have competition. And so, what regularly happens is, you know, sometime around. You know, April or May when the when the events are going to open up. I think the events opened up this year, May twenty fifth. Um, and so, you know, you want to get together and you start browsing the events and you're looking and you're saying, oh, I want to play this, I want to play that, and you're adding things to your wish list. And you end up kind of filling in all the little gaps and you say, okay, well, I I have my full schedule and it has everything I want to play. And then the deadline on you know nine a.m. of May twenty fifth arrives when you can finally register events. And and you click the button to register all of the events on your wish list, and half of them are sold out immediately. That has always happened to us, and it has always required us to kind of plan around those gaps in the schedule. Now, it is not to say that all is lost. What typically happens is that you end up with, you know, about half of your games. 
some of the stuff you wanted to go for, you whiffed. But some of the other stuff you wanted to go for, you got in, good for you sort of thing. And then it becomes around kind of filling the gaps in your schedule. You might have a late night Saturday game and an early morning Saturday game, but now you have this slot where it's like, okay, from 12 to 8 p.m., I have a nice juicy slot for a big game that I can put in there and you start browsing through the different events to try and find something to fit that slot. This is actually one of the best ways in which you can find new and interesting and innovative stuff because you are searching not by, you know, the esoteric game title, but you are searching by the the game slot and you're looking for, okay, what are four hour games that start at 2 p.m. on Saturday? When you find that game, whatever it is, um, that fits your slot and your time kind of perfectly. Um, that is a lot of the times when you say, you know what, I have never played, you know, Dogs in the Vineyard, but I'm really interested to give it a shot and you and you add it to your list. It's definitely, it, it is definitely not something that you should feel um, afraid of, but it is a necessary part of, of the process to register a bunch of your events on May 25th, whiff on a bunch of them, and have to kind of come back and revisit and and add, you know, and add in later. Another piece of this that is sort of a silver lining to missing out on certain events is that not every event is going to be registered on, you know, by May 25th. A lot of events are going to be put up way after, up to and including, you know, in, in the few weeks before... Uh, Gen Con transpires, man. Why I really backed myself into a corner with that sentence, but um, but so it can always it can it can always be useful to kind of do a revisit of all of the events kind of right before you know gen con happens where it's a couple of days out and you're like okay well i'm gonna do one last sweep and see if that i can i can you know locate any of these so-called diamonds in the rough that i want to uh that i want to get a late ticket to yeah no that's i I think that's 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 actually a, a really important point um, like for instance, the Paizo events that we were talking about, they haven't been putting up their seminars until later, um, for the past couple of years. Um, uh, also like the things that are left tend to be a little bit, um, tend to be a little bit more different. So if you're looking for that unique experience, trolling through kind of what's left over, uh, can be, can be fun. Um, also you have the opportunity to make somebody's day if there nobody signed up for their event and suddenly there's like four people signed up. So, you know, there's that. Um, nobody setting up doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad game. It just means that, like, maybe it's not, like, the hot thing to do. Sometimes it means it's a bad game. I've definitely had some less than stellar experiences at Gen Con. Um, but uh, most of the time it's just kind of been, you know, some creator who's like, I'm testing my game and nobody knows what this is. And those can be some of the most fun things because you've got somebody who cares very passionately about what they're doing. Um and uh, it's it's I've always had a phenomenal time uh, with 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 uh, or not always, but I have ninety five percent plus of the time had a phenomenal time with with these with those uh, with those games. Yeah, um, I feel like that's most of the logistics notes. Do you have any other notes from the logistics end of the spectrum? Um, let me let me think. Uh, did I did I want to say anything else? Um, no, I think, I I think that's it from the logistics end. Uh, now we're going to move into everybody's favorite topic, food. Um, uh, 
This first one actually leads really nice out of the last one, which is, you know, don't book games back to back. Leave yourself gaps. Um, don't get dinner at midnight. Oh we had gosh. to do this once because – so this is the, I think this was the first year that we like, did it as a large group. We just kind of booked ourselves solid and uh, we were we were like – we had games solid from like noon to like nine. And we ended up getting food at midnight at Steak Shack or, or you know, Steak and Shake. Yeah, whatever. Sh- yeah, Steak and Shake or Shake Shack. I can't remember. One of the two. It was Steak and Shake because it's not, it's not Shake Shack. Shake Shack's a much uh, – tastier establishment not that steak and chick is bad it's just you know not not shake shack um um but they will be open if you absolutely have to but uh you don't want to do that in fact i think this is kind of the right time to bring in these are like general conrolls this is not a gen con pro this is like a general con- convention going tip uh, follow the three two one rule and the three two one rule is three hours of sleep two meals one shower bare minimum per day you want to get more than that <laughs> that's fine. but you don't like you you know gen cut's actually pretty decent smelling right it is not as bad as say like a melee tournament um but uh you always want to shower you want to eat and you want to get sleep you can get caught up in it gen con runs 24 hours um you know it runs straight from wednesday to sunday till when it's done there will be something happening probably you don't want to be doing things all 24 hours of the day. You will crash. You will burn. And it will not be fun. Uh, so, um, and part and parcel of this is planning your meal breaks appropriately. Um, knowing where stuff is. Um, I think you can roll up a couple of these into kind of like, kn- like know where stuff is. There's a mall with a food court that's attached to the convention center. Chick-fil-A is always crowded out the fuck. Like, they literally... I really don't understand it, but every year it is always super, super crowded. It's one of the best options in that food court, and a lot of people don't have access to a Chick-fil-A, so it's kind of a special yeah. thing for them. Um, but, like, the lines are, like, huge. Um, they put up... they So, Chick-fil-A has its own line at Gen Con. Um, they literally open up the side door and are, like, slinging bur- or, you know, chicken sandwiches out the side. Um, they have you ordering from the online app on iPads that the workers are holding. It's fucking nuts. It's also really funny to watch, like, the people who are, like, going there from their day jobs being like, what the fuck? Why are there so many nerds here? Um, but, uh, uh, you know, make sure you give yourself some time if you're going to do that. Um, another pro tip in this in this vein, which we've got at the end of this, but is like if you are like me and you like drinking a lot of soda, um, the vending machines in the convention center are like three dollars. The convenience store in the mall is like a dollar fifty, which still isn't great, but it's you know a, a half price savings if you can be bothered to walk over to the mall. Um, I think that kind of leads into this other point where if you've got the opportunity to, you should go to like Walmart or Costco or some other grocery store ahead of time and get yourself some supplies. Um, uh, I'd be cautious about overbuying, um, for the past two or three years, we've gotten like ourselves, like, uh, like, uh, some beer, right? Like we've gotten like, I think the first year we got like a 30 rack and then like last year we got like a 12 pack cause you know, we've matured and are on nicer stuff, but we yeah. never end up finishing it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but, but he doesn't drink, so he hasn't had to, to, to join in with this, but it's basically like we have to like. Last day, we're, like, chugging it or giving it to the guy who, who drove so he can drive it home. 
Um, yeah, I actually, I mean, I, I, I appreciate this tip, and I think it is a good tip, especially if you were on kind of like the money saver plan, right? Where you're flying to Chicago or whatever else kind of thing. But I definitely do think um, that Indianapolis is kind of a cool spot and let your vacation be a little bit of a vacation. Like, in other That's words, true. listen, I saved 170 bucks by flying to, to O'Hare and taking a $30 bus instead of, you know, flying to Indianapolis, um, but I'm probably, you know, like I'm probably going to end up spending a certain amount, if not all of that, 170 bucks on, you know, like going to restaurants and stuff with people. But that's, you know, I would, that, that is kind of the, the, the price I'm willing to pay in, in a certain sense of the word. And a lot of the times, you know, like the making a sandwich and eating a PB and J, right? Like on a bench in the convention hall is just like a lot less fun than going out and getting lunch with the guys. Um, I really like a lot of the food in Indianapolis. There's kind of a lot of, a lot, there's a lot of those like kind of like, uh, like high caliber chains. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. um, there's a Fogo there. Uh, they think there's a PF Chang's right. Uh, there's the, 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 the regular stuff that you'll see kind of like Chipotle or whatever, but there's also a lot of little stuff that we've had success with by, you know, like looking at Grubhub, like last year or the year before we did a big kind of barbecue dinner, which was actually pretty great. Um, the food was anyway. And so looking out for those kinds of things uh, is is a really good idea, and I would definitely highly recommend it. Something that we're doing this year and that I would also highly recommend is we are kind of setting aside time on Thursday night to sort of say, you know, um, this is going to be our big special We're Friends dinner where we go to a nice restaurant and it's going to be good food and we're going to like dedicate our night to this this kind of thing. Um, we've been doing this for the past two or three years and I always think that those are a great way, especially to start the convention. Um, like last year we did that I think on Wednesday night. This year we're doing it on Thursday night. Yeah, and uh, and part of the tip that goes with that is the restaurant we're going to is like a mile away from the convention center and kind of nerd density falls off very very quickly um as you as you branch out from the convention center so if you're willing to go like if you're willing to go like a short uber ride away or a a a longer walk away you can like the the restaurant that i have made reservations for an open table we report back if it's any good um is like there it's wide open for reservations right like there's 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 room for all hours of the hours of the day and i expect that they see some increased traffic but not to the degree that like like the steak and shake will have a line out the door pretty consistently for yeah, the entire time. Yeah, because it's right around the corner. The other yeah. thing is, is there is um, there's a big courtyard kind of across the street from sort of like the main hall and the dealer hall and stuff like that. Um, that is always full of food trucks. There's a big, big line of food trucks that kind of makes like an L. It'll go down the street a little bit and into that courtyard um, quite a ways, and that is always very busy. But I would also say it's very good. I've had a lot of success. You know, some years where it's just like, listen, I got two hours between noon and two to my next game and you know me and one other person we go and we sit in our line and we chat and we have fun um while we're kind of waiting don't get don't look for the food trucks for something quick you're never going to be able to like pop out grab something pop back in um but i would definitely say that you know if you are sort of between games um and you're looking for something uh something good and you have a little bit of time to kill going out into the courtyard is uh, is a pretty good answer 
Yeah, uh, so along actually, those lines, by the way, I will also say it is August and it is hot. So the, the convention, convention center, center is air conditioned. Yeah, the convention center is lovingly air conditioned. Thank Jesus. Also, so are all of the you know like so are all of the hotels. But being out in that courtyard for you know for an extended period of time, be prepared to uh, you know be a little be a little uh, a little bit hotter sweaty. than you needed to be. Yeah, be a little sweaty. Um. On so. Uh, on that note, um, or kind of, kind of in that, or to, to add on to what you said about the food trucks, the food trucks are actually relatively new. They've really started making appearance the past couple of years, and they're really kind of Gen Con has like ramped up the advertising around it. So, um, kind of I guess expect it to be crowded because they're like pushing it. Um, uh, but uh, along those lines about it being hot, uh, drink water. Um, make this. This is like another gen, uh, general convention kind of uh, tip. This is kind of like a general life tip drink water um make sure you've always got some on you you last thing you want to be, do is be dehydrated um in a in a far off you, last thing you want to do is pass out in a in a in kind of a far off city where you don't know a ton of people um uh so just make sure make sure that you're, you're hydrated um uh it, this convention has not been as good as some others i've been to about having free hydration stations around i think they do exist but they are not nearly as dense as i've seen it say um, some more local conventions, um, uh, but make sure make sure you, make sure to stay hydrated. Make sure you have water. Um, uh, make stay safe. You know, don't don't get a don't 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 screw yourself up uh, by 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 getting dehydrated. Um, and when I say drink water, that does mean drink water. I I among everybody, you know, I among everybody else drink a, an ass ton of soda. Um, make sure to drink some water in addition to that to keep your hydration up. Um, uh, it's 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 good for you. Drink water. Um, did I say drink water enough times? I think you. I think you did. Uh, we have time for a couple of more uh, tips. Something that we haven't talked much about is the dealer hall. This is yes. something that I always make sure to book a little bit of time for, where I'll kind of say like, you know, uh, I'll look for a gap in my schedule from for like two to three hours, and I'll say this is my dealer hall, right? Like gap. This is where I am going to, for instance. Uh, you know, go and peruse all of the all of the different uh, you know, booths and stuff that I've been kind of looking for. A lot of the times, I'll do this in two waves. Like I'll do kind of like passes. I guess I'll 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 <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll call it where I will look at. Um, for instance, you know, I will go somewhere and I'll talk to somebody and I'll get the whole spiel, right? And that'll be on, like, Friday or something kind of like that. And I'll say, okay, cool, you know, like, I'll think about it and I'll leave. And then two days later, I might have sort of, like, the pull the trigger thing where it's like, okay, these are all the different things that I've checked out. Where, where do I want to buy something? Where do I not? Uh, a lot of the time, this will have me going back to a place and saying, hey, you know, I've, I've already gotten the spiel. I just want to buy sort of thing. People always love to sort of see that on the final day of the con. Uh, but a lot of the times it'll also mean that I just kind of go, you know what, listen, a thousand dollar, you know, leather tunic is probably not worth my time. <laughs> and so you just kind of, you just kind of let those, those ones, uh, you let those ones go. Um, the one exception to this rule that I think is important to mention is that if you are doing any, some, anything like big and important, uh, important is kind of a weird way to phrase it, but you know something along if, if the you're lines. Gonna, if you're going to buy anything like hot, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This year it will be the Pathfinder Second Edition Core Rulebook, probably. Yeah. Um, 
The playtest didn't sell out last year, but maybe that was because it was a playtest. But the Starfinder books sold out immediately the year that they came out. Um, and not immediately, immediately. Like, if you get online relatively early on Thursday, you will probably get something. Um, at least in, in my experience. Um, uh, but there are some things that will go immediately. Um, if there's something you really want, make sure to get it the first day. Especially, like, kind of these marquee items. Um, I've got, I know I've got a couple of things I'm looking at that I will probably get early-ish. Um, we don't, our, most of our first events isn't, aren't until like, uh, 11. So I might stroll in at 10 and try and pick up, uh, some stuff. I've got a couple of favorite vendors. Um, uh, actually, why don't I, uh, I'll shout out the Archivos guys, um, because they've always been at Gen Con. They've always been super nice, super willing to sit down and chat about stuff, um, and uh, they produce a decent product. I haven't used it super recently. I've been meaning to, though. Uh, they keep putting out updates, um, and they're always willing to chat, and you can get, like, 12 months for a discounted price of their service, which is basically like a, a wiki service um, with some neat networking-type stuff. But, uh, yeah. Um, but I think that's... Um, also, just kind of in general, make time for the dealer hall. It's worth going through. Um, it closes at 6. I think it opens at 10, maybe 9. Make sure that you have a gap to go just peruse the dealer hall. At least one, possibly two. Um, because they, it is it is a super fun thing to just kind of walk around. Um, also, if you're us, drop uh, poker chips into people's backs. Um, <laughs> uh, which will be making a return this year. I have next to me a box of a hundred poker chips. So if you guys see us, feel free to ask and you can get one. And you might get one even if you don't ask for it. Um, if, if last year was the... Uh, what was was the example? I also have some of the old ones from last year. I will be bringing those uh, too. So uh, feel free to come get a poker chip from us. Um, uh, but um, uh, I think the last one I'm gonna. I think I think a good one to end on is um, about leaving Gen Con, and that is um, if you plan on buying a lot of stuff. Um, and you're going with people from the same geographic area, coordinate to make sure to have like one checked bag. Um, the way that I've seen this work the best is like having like a collapsible duffel that you can turn into a checked bag. So you only have to check it one way. Um, but and you can also ship stuff, but that can get kind of pricey. Um, especially if you're doing like an upgraded, like, like I do comfort plus a lot cause I'm a big guy. Um, usually those come with a free checked bag that I don't usually use. Um, uh, but if you're planning on buying a lot of stuff at Gen Con, you can you could do worse than to uh, than to to coordinate one checked bag so you can get all your stuff back, all your loot, all your fat loot back home. Safe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I really love Gen Con and I love talking about it, and uh, and I'm super excited for this year's Gen Con. We'll definitely be reporting back. Uh, so if you if you want to hear the the flip side of any and all of these uh, of these trips. Make sure you tune in for subsequent episodes. Um, but anyway, is that is that all we had on the list for Gen Con? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, yep. tell me all about your week, just front to back, end to end. Let's 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 do it. Uh, so where do we want to start? So you you want to talk about Pathfinder two a little bit? Uh, we'll probably do a full review of this like either next week or the week after, uh, depending. But I got my Pathfinder two ebooks early. Um, and uh, there's some really cool stuff in them. Uh, the 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 I have I have two copies of the book because I'm I'm a fucking sucker. I got the deluxe edition and I have the uh, standard edition for my subscription. Um, I've been spending some time reading it. I am really excited for some of these features. Um, I, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I think the one I will tease because the one I'm most excited for is um, 
a lot of the spells that kind of make other classes redundant or like you know hurt adventures kind of like how we talked about for how your exploration adventure like how teleportation might ruin that adventure or yeah. either they're either toned down or they're uncommon so you can't get access to them so like teleportation is uncommon flight has a time of five minutes until it's until you're like level 15 so wow. like yeah so like a lot of that stuff is really really toned down um uh which is which is good um uh, and like stuff like resurrection isn't it's one it's uncommon and two it's a ritual so rituals can be cast by anybody who has the appropriate skill um in religion's case you need one person with trained in religion one person trained in medicine and one person trained in society um and so if you can find out how to do it or get access to it you can anybody you don't need like a cleric in the party to be able to do it but if that's not right for your campaign you can just deny access to it kind of canonically in a way that I like, you know, you know, the GM's got final say on everything, but having it kind of written into the rules like that, I think makes it feel a lot realer, right? Like it's a, it's a much easier sell if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, uh, especially for players who will, who will kneel you out the rule, you know, which you could talk about like players being bad or whatever, but I think, I think anything that makes it easier for the GM to, to kind of enforce is, is always good. Mm -hmm. Um, also kind of sets these things up as rewards, right? Like you can have like, you know, under like the PF1E rules, whenever you level up, you just get two spells, right? But like, let's say you really want the, there's some like, like, like the protection from evil spell, right? Like, which is a really low level spell is uncommon. So, um, if the GM just wants to give it to you, he can, but, um, you could also make that like a quest you have to go on to go find the formula for it. Man, which I, I think really is a love that. Really system. cool thing. Just the, yeah. the, especially in that. Like, I had that exact thought as soon as you kind of laid it out where I was like, oh, my God, that must be so cool. The idea that, like, you need to go and hunt down this powerful spell, right, for your spell book kind of thing. Um, that sounds amazing. That sounds really awesome. And I yeah. like that system a lot. Yeah, I'm super excited to, to play some of this. Like I said, I don't want to go too deep into it because we're probably going to do a full review of it in, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, so I will leave it at that. Um, uh, so the other, the other big thing I did this week was, is I went and saw, uh, Quentin Tarantino's new film, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Have you seen this yet, buddy? No, I have not seen this, but tell me all about it without spoiling it because I do plan on yeah. seeing it. So it is, I really liked it a lot. It's a bit different than the typical Tarantino film. While still being the same, I think he plays on your expect. I got the feeling that he was playing on my expectations as a Tarantino, someone familiar with the Tarantino canon. Um, and uh, there's some some of those markers there, like the feet in this movie are like weird and like, like it's worse than it's ever been, and obviously so. I can count like at least three times, probably more, where there are bare feet front and center in the fucking camera. And it's like, <laughs> like he's, he, he, he has to be playing into it. He has to know that you will notice it because it is so, it is so blatant, right? Like it, it, it like there's, and they're all like bare feet and they're kind of dirty. And like, there's a bunch of hippies in the movie. So it makes sense. It's not like it's like out of place, but the, the way the shots are framed, it's, it's just, it's nuts. Um, uh, the story I think is pretty good. Um, it's a little bit weird cause like the, it kind of takes all like the, the actual kind of resolution of the story as like an arc is 
kind of quick-ish. It's there's there's just a bunch of weird stuff in it. I'm actually kind of excited for you to go see it um, because I kind of want to talk about it a little bit more deeply. Like, you know, Roman Polanski is a character is a minor character in this film, Oof, which yikes. is just kind of like, and it's like, and he it, it like just avoids a lot of things. Like it's 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 a it's a weird movie, but it's um. It feels like it's a movie about getting old in Hollywood. And that's kind of like a very surface level thesis that like you will see if you watch the movie. That's kind of like the most obvious interpretation. It's got Bruce Lee as a character, like a very minor character. Um, and it's, 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 it's just a weird movie. I, I highly recommend it. But it's, 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 it, is, it is a very weird movie. Um, but it was, a, it was a, a lot of fun to go watch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, obviously – when it comes to, like, Roman Polanski, Quentin Tarantino kind of gets, like, like sort of, like, half-canceled every couple of years because people mind the quote from, I think it was 2003, where Quentin Tarantino says, like, oh, you know, Roman Polanski shouldn't be, you know... It, it, it's kind of, it, you know, it is in defense of, by the way, literal rapist Roman Polanski or whatever. Um, but he has since he has walked that back quote that quote back like a gazillion times at this point. But it's funny because it always kind of gets like trotted out in a way um, uh, as a sort of means to talk about you know like that era of Hollywood and sort of like the reverence that we have for it. Right? Like, there's a really important book, for instance, that came out called Raging Bulls. Um, and Taxi Drivers, or, like, Taxi Drivers, Raging Bulls, something like that, which is um, all about the the kind of growth from the 50s to the 60s to the 70s in terms of, like, prestige filmmaking, I guess you'd call it, right? Um, and so, for instance, a lot of the times what, what people will talk about is, like, the friendship between George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and how they had this kind of very similar upbringing watching, like, the old serials and that really informed their movie-making sensibilities when it came to Star Wars and when it came to, you know, like, Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark or what. Or or, like kind of what have you but like a significant part of that story is a guy like roman polanski um i also think that what quentin tarantino said in 2003 was pretty typical for 2003 and then it's mostly a reflection on how much we have kind of turned the corner on letting rapists be forgiven for their their rape um so the the fact that he is now it's commenting on it inside of his movie is very interesting it's so thinking about this, there's, there's a couple of weird part. Like it mostly goes unremarked upon. There's a couple of moments that, in retrospect, I don't know. Go watch it. We'll talk about it. Okay. Um, it's 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 a weird movie. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll kind of leave it at that. Um, but those were the I think the big things from my week. I played some Final Fantasy fourteen. Um, I played some magic the gathering arena i've been playing some league of legends uh that's those those are the big things oh um uh another uh, i like to bring in weird firsts for the cast something i did want to bring up which is weird but i think is invaluable for home cooks buddy have you ever made hollandaise sauce i have never made hollandaise sauce tell me all about it so the normal process for making hollandaise sauce is you kind of set up a double boiler and you put an egg and uh, and some lemon juice and some salt 
in like this double boiler and you constantly whisk it while you drizzle in melted butter. And it's very, very time consuming. It's very kind of labor intensive and it's really easy to screw up. You can break it, it in creating an emulsion and uh, it's really easy to screw that up and, you know, end up with a broken sauce. Um, uh, I have only ever attempted it like once or twice before, but I found this kitchen hack, which involves using a, an immersion blender. Uh, basically, you put the the egg and the lemon juice in the bottom. It's an egg yolk. It's not a full egg. In the bottom of a blender, immersion blender cup, and you kind of run the immersion blender while you slowly drizzle in the melted butter. And I was like, okay, maybe this will work. I tried it. It works perfectly, like a charm. Less than a minute to make, a, you know, like a, a like a, a full thing of rich and creamy hollandaise, and it worked perfectly. And it was like fucking magic, right? Like. It was, it was, it's so incredible. This is why I'm bringing it up. It's just so, such a, such, such an easy technique and it works perfectly. I highly recommend it if you need to make hollandaise sauce. Um, it, uh, it's, it's uh, Serious Eats. I believe the guy's name is Kenji Lopez. I'll link a link to the video in the description and it works like a fucking miracle. It's crazy. Wow. Um, uh, that's insane. Uh, okay. I don't know much about hollandaise sauce besides reading its wikipedia article that it is one of the five mother sauces in french so <laughs> it's butter and egg yolk and yeah a little bit of lemon juice. i i do you know you always hear about emulsions being like the hardest part of cooking you know and how it's like super hard and impossible to get a good emulsion um so i definitely i definitely believe you and i definitely you know listen i i commend your tremendous success in in making hollandaise sauce i have not been playing much i've been playing league of legends um and there's also a lot of new cards being revealed for the next hearthstone expansion which comes out uh in a week or two which i'm also very excited for the next hearthstone expansion is called saviors of old doom and it is a return to the league of explorers from a couple of years ago like did you ever play the league of explorers um adventure i think i played the first one yeah yeah, so the League of Explorers adventure is well-loved among the community, um, just, like, as a bunch of flavorful characters doing a bunch of flavorful, cool things. Um, and when, you know, when they said that they were going to do a three, uh, like, a three-set story this year, starting with the Rise of Shadows, which was, you know, Archvillain Rafam from the, the League of Explorers getting together a sort of villain super team and hijacking Dalaran, uh, we are now in a in a place where they have hijacked Alaron and they are taking it to Old Doom, and we don't know why. But the League of Explorers are on the case now, and so Reno Jackson and Sir Finley Mergleton, um, the Elise Starseeker, who I think is like the leader, and of course Brian Bronzebeard of WoW fame, have all banded together to uh, prevent them from getting their, you know, like their whatever their evil stuff done is. And the reason I want to shout the, this whole preamble is to get you guys to go listen to the League of Explorers song. And I'm not even going to like preface this with anything uh, besides the fact that it is the most watched cinematic trailer for Hearthstone. It's like the most watched thing on like the, the Hearthstone YouTube channel. It's because the song is really good and super catchy and a lot of fun. Um, 
the the new mechanics that they're coming out are really interesting and i'm and i'm excited to kind of like see where they go with some of this stuff they're bringing back quests uh which was an ungoro mechanic you know you fulfill a couple of gameplay things like play seven taunt minions and you get a big reward right and the and the reward is typically a card and that card will do something kind of for you whether it's a spell or a minion or a weapon or kind of like what have you now the quests are the quest rewards are hero powers, right? So you have your quest. You, you, it always starts in your opening hand. You play it on turn one. Uh, but when you complete your quest, you will get a new hero power that is upgraded in some variety compared to your old hero power. So, like, so for instance, the warrior quest is to attack five times with your hero, right? So, like, equip a weapon and attack with, with your hero five times. Um, and the reward is a two mana summon a four three whenever you attack with your hero refresh this right and it also like refreshes the beginning of your turn so like hypothetically speaking right like if you're going face and a, a whole bunch and then you get this new hero power now you just have infinite value of like constantly spawning a four three on the board who is you know like gonna do do strong sort of stuff for you um and I think that that's, that's an overall better version of quest design than the original iteration of quests, which were a little bit of a design flop. Really, uh, the only quest that was competitive was the rogue quest, uh, which was famously super fucking broken. It was very binary. The rogue quest said, you know, it originally said, like, play five of the same minion. So it was, like, bouncing, right? So you play a minion, bounce it, play a minion, bounce it, play a minion, bounce it, or, like, play another copy or something kind of along those lines. Um, but it became so consistent, and the quest was so good. When you completed the quest, all of your you, – you got a spell that said all of your minions for the rest of the game are four fours. And what that allowed you to do – because you're already playing all these, like, bouncing mechanics. What that allowed you to do is play – uh, Stone Tusk Boar and the Charging 2-1 Pirate who w- that I can't remember. Ha-ha! Is what he goes like. And that's what everybody calls him. Um, you can play those guys and now you have Charging 4-4s that are going face and then you bounce them and they all cost one mana anyway and so you charge them again into face. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the Rogue Quest was so good and so consistent that they actually had to nerf it twice. Um, first... I don't even really remember how they nerfed it the first time. Um, but then uh, they nerfed it a second time because it was just so powerful. And so the quest had this very binary sort of experience, right? Where if you got your quest off, you basically won the game. Uh, quest Mage was a deck that was all about fulfilling the quest so that you could OTK your opponent with uh, with the extra turn that was the request reward for the mage, uh, for the mage quest at the time. And... Um, uh, and now the quests are built more on kind of like incremental value over time and kind of crucially, right, they are built on sort of like prolonged self-synergy, if that makes sense, right? So, for instance, with that, with that warrior quest, you want to include a bunch of stuff that allows you to attack with your hero, right? So you want to include like a bunch of weapons and armor game and like weapon stuff along those kinds of lines, right? But it's not like once you complete the quest, you don't care about playing any of those things anymore. Once you complete your quest, you are still incentivized to attack with your hero because you want to get refreshes on your hero power so you can summon more four threes and eventually just like outvalue your opponent in the late game. Um, I also think that this will bring some very needed kind of counterplay to sort of the infinite value setup of 
uh, Dr. Boom Mad Genius. We've talked about a bunch in the past about kind of Control Warrior and how Control Warrior has been like working in the current kind of metagame. And one of the pieces for how Control Warrior has been working in the current metagame is the ability to play the hero card Dr. Boom Mad Genius, which gives you a new powerful hero power that randomizes sort of every turn. Um, and when you have quests that allow other classes each class gets its own quest when you have quests that allow other classes to compete on that same late stage level i feel like control warrior is going to uh you know like dip down uh at least a little bit when it comes to um uh when it comes to its kind of prominence Place in, in the, the meta, meta game. yeah yeah no uh, that that makes a lot of sense um, so are, are, are you looking forward to it then? Um, yeah, I or, mean, or... I've liked Hearthstone for pretty much most of this expansion. I basically exclusively became a single player, like content player because of, uh, the way that, uh, they designed the single player this time around. Basically they designed the single player this time around by, um, uh, giving you just a ton to do right you beat the game but there are more decks there are more hero powers there's always more stuff to do there's two whole modes to do all of this stuff in again there's anomaly mode um and so the just given the amount of content that they had in the uh in the rise of shadows single player i just like basically stopped playing ladder because why 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 would i need to um sort of thing which kind of sucks because you know i used to like going in and getting my three wins and everything along those lines but every time i want to play Hearthstone, i just i always want to play single player because i'm, I'm a completionist and i want to get you know the the next check mark you know uh in the next class of whatever I've been working on. Fair enough. Uh, uh, <laughs> I just got invited to a League of Legends game by friend of I the cast, Charles. I also just got invited to a League of Legends game by friend of the cast, oh. Charles. Um, I will say uh, that some League of Legends news came out. It's been a long time since we talked about League of Legends news, but I did want to. I did want to bring this up. Um, did you know that apparently Pantheon is getting a rework? Uh, I did see this. Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, uh, I will link to this video in, in the description, but, uh, it seems like they're making him a little bit less reliable and a little bit more, uh, assassin maybe is the right way to put it. Uh, well, what's your take on it? I, so I don't really know. Uh, I mean, I hope that they make Pantheon kind of, Pantheon is kind of like, Pantheon is one of those champs in League of Legends that I love the aesthetic and I hate the play style. I think Pantheon plays really awful, but I really love the idea of this kind of like, you know, sort of like Grecian Spartan sword and, or I mean, shield and, and spear phalanx kind of, uh, kind of fighter right like that is always you know i there there are certain archetypes that i get attached to right like the samurai archetype right um or like cowboy gunslingers or something kind of along those lines um the like the the sort of stealthy ranger archetype um but on top of that um I've always really enjoyed the, the like that phalanx archetype, and so I've always wanted to like Pantheon. But the thing is, that Pantheon's playstyle, frankly, sucks. Um, he just spams point and click spears, and then he does a point and click stun, 
and he casts his one skill shot. I guess technically his ult is a skill shot. Um, and the whole and the whole champion is kind of like the only real depth to Pantheon is your ability to land good grand skyfalls. It feels like and like bursts people out. Um, and so I have for the longest time really disliked uh, Pantheon because of his kit, while really enjoying him because of his art and his, his aesthetic. And my hope is that they will create a kind of deep and varied enough sort of rework to his design that it will attract somebody like me uh, to the character. Unfortunately, I think the, the appropriate place for Pantheon to live in is kind of in the Yasuo slash Fiora slash Jax sort of land where like typically these characters are called light fighters rather than being called um uh assassins because like they they do they're not super bursty and they do their they do high damage but it's kind of like over time and they're very duelisty right you know fiora and Jax are these like really hardcore duelist champions and i kind of feel like pantheon belongs in that sort of category whereas current pantheon he just kind of like he ults in and he blows his load and hopefully you kill him or else maybe he'll get a second q in or kind of something along those lines he plays a lot more like talon or zed than he plays uh like fiora or someone kind of along those lines and so my hope is that this is going to be a kit that makes him kind of into that sort of like light bruiser archetype that i just like i love so dearly unfortunately uh this comes hot on the heels of playing a game of the new rengar they have changed rengar since uh i left the game and my favorite way to play rengar used to be as another kind of sort of light fighter like that you know like i would build trinity force i would build uh madrid's blood razor or whatever the 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 jungle blood razor item was called and and then go tanky and you would kind of play out the game um, more like a bruiser than like a uh than like an assassin but since i left the game and came back they reworked him again and they have very much embraced the build full damage burst people with your stealth ultimate and your combo or whatever and i'm just very like uninterested in uh, in that sort of play style they they talk a lot in the video about like wanting to kind of you know, preserve the the spell-based nature of Pantheon, and spell-based AD casters typically are assassins, so um, that's, I guess, kind of what I expect. But, I mean, you know, there's always the chance that Pantheon ends up as a as a as an AD mage. I've always kind of been waiting for them to create an, an AD mage. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely kind of agree with your sense assessment of, of current Pantheon. Um, I think kind of, like... Because so much of his kit is so reliable that Grand Skyfall has to be kind of bad um, to, to to make up for it. Like, it's very easy to dodge the Grand Skyfall. And it's like, it's very, bad's maybe the wrong word, but it's very hard to use really effectively. Um, and so I think that, uh, I think you're definitely right that uh, that that this that this change has the potential to, to transform into something neat. I am hoping that his... Uh, his 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 kind of like the, the the kind of aesthetic informs this kind of like bruisery nature that you're talking about. Um, it seems to me that since we've gotten back, that league has opted to eliminate a lot of alternate builds in favor of putting out more champions that would kind of embrace those alternate builds as kind of like primary things. And I my guess is is that from kind of a design standpoint. They want less ambiguity as to what a particular champion means, um, unless they want it to be part of the kit with like Kane, right? Like Kane can choose between 
uh, his two forms, but that's part of that champion. Um, whereas, you know, going against, say, let's just use your, uh, a Rengar, um, you kind of want people to, from like a from like a gameplay standpoint, you want people to be able to anticipate what that's going to be like and build accordingly and not get kind of caught out by like some weird side build. Yeah, no, um, I definitely I definitely agree with that, especially with the introduction of the I'm sorry, the introduction of uh, like adaptive damage and stuff like that, where, you know, um, you have less ability in your in your kind of like rune setup to make something kind of like wonky and weird where you would go like full match pen mundo or something like that and just be like whacking people with cleavers that are doing true damage um i also definitely think that uh that they are kind of like slowly weeding out some of the alt builds i also think a lot of those alt builds are were like frankly pretty like unhealthy for the game and sort of built on you know, like getting ahead and making having like a very punishing playstyle for it. Like AP Warwick was sort of this, right? Because the healing on his Q scaled with AP, and you could buy Nasher's Tooth, which would like put on hit AP damage on your ultimate. If you got ahead on Warwick and then you ulted somebody, which is a suppress, right? Like the only way to get a suppress is with QSS or whatever. Um, you were just like doing insane amounts of damage. You combo that with like a Lich Bane, which is going to do a big burst of damage right at the top, right? Like a lot of those sorts of, uh, a lot of those sorts of builds were kind of dependent on uh, like uninteractive and kind of counterplay light sort of play styles. And so I think that getting rid of some of that stuff is definitely good for the game. Um, and I also think that what they are looking to do, this is something that I felt a lot in my recent games is like, there are alternate builds, but they are all similar. Right. And it's the difference between, you know, going rapid fire cannon and static shiv, right. Or static shiv and phantom dancer, or, you know, black cleaver or spear of shojin, whatever it is kind of things. Um, where, you know, there are more items that are viable to be bought on a champion, but that champion is going to, and that it is, it is going to definitely affect the way that champion plays it, like plays out. Um, but it is a it is a decision, I guess, um, that that narrows the possibility space so that you won't be taken off guard by Magic Penbundo or by you know AP Warwick or something kind of along those lines. Um, every time you see a champion like you know whatever Shen, you are going to say, "Oh, I know Shen. He does this," and be basically on the money. Yeah, yeah, no, that that that, that makes sense. I, I, what do you think of that as, as a game design decision? Like, I, I think it makes sense, kind of, for a game that wants to be a competitive esport, I guess. Um, in its primary, in its primary way, and, and I, I guess, like for like read, like the hardest part about MOBAs, maybe not the hardest part, but one of the biggest um, kind of clips for MOBAs is is kind of the readability of the game and kind of the burden of knowledge. And so making some of that less ambiguous probably makes that a little bit, uh, probably makes the game a little bit more readable. So I get why it is. Um, as a person who really likes weird builds, I'm kind of sad, but you know, I, I, I understand why they're doing but, it. But you see, I, but I do, I will say that I also think that they are, uh, that they are releasing champions that appeal to weird build, like Pike being both a support and an assassin is the is kind of like the poster child for this where it's like 
you know, before you could, you know, you could play a support and you could build AD instead of health items or whatever. And you could do, you know, you could play support Zed or something like that and get a, a, you know, uh, the mountain thing or whatever, Targons and be, be filling out Targon stacks and then just like build, you know, AD assassin items or something kind of along those lines. But now you just have Pike who does that thing, but it's kind of like intended, if that makes sense. And I feel like they have sort of kind of co-opted some of these things, right? Like if you want to play an AP AD carry, you don't take Teemo in the bottom lane anymore. You have Kaisa, right? Um, and I think some of those decisions are pretty good. I don't know. I, I feel like some of them, uh, I don't have a great sense of, evaluating uh just because some of these champions are just like really weird like ivern dude how do you evaluate a champion like ivern uh i don't have yeah. an answer to that question yeah and, and kind of in the, so i i'm going to say that like you know not that like this game should cater to my will but there is a certain joy from kind of perverting the intended desire and getting a win out of it um, that's kind of a sense of expression, right? Like, this is why I play only weird and stupid decks in Magic the Gathering. Um, and it's its own kind of joy. Um, and, you know, I'm sad that that's not here anymore, but I also recognize that that's probably not a healthy space for, like, you know, League's not the right game for that, right? Magic Gathering's a place for that. Like, maybe Diablo and, like, board, you know, loot games like Borderlands are the place for, like, those types of things. And League of Legends should probably be a little bit more transparent, but uh, a part of me is sad that I, you know, I can't wreck face with, you know, um, you know AP original Scion anymore, right? Like, um, but I get it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I can't say it's bad. It just makes me a little bit sad on the inside. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, I definitely miss some stuff in the game kind of along those lines, right? Like, you know, there's stuff in the game that I would probably say makes it... Like, so, for instance, um, they got rid of some of the different jungle items. Like, they got rid of Devourer and Sated Devourer. I always loved the Devourer item, by the way. Um, but they also got rid of, like, the farming jungle item uh, that upgraded Smite so that it would deal, like, splash damage. And you can kind of just, like, AoE down all of... Um, you know, you could AoE down all of the all of the guys in the camp, and it would restore a lot of... Uh, health and mana. And I really like that item because it allowed basically anybody to go into the jungle, right? Like, all you needed to do was kind of, like, hobble through your very first clear, come back with, you know, Ranger's Trailblazer, right? And now, you know, Jungle Kale worked just fine um, compared to, you know, some of the junglers like Lee Sin or someone, right, that is, like, incredibly sort of, like, meta. And so, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel kind of the, um, I guess I would say the loss that uh that comes with some of those off meta builds i think it all comes just from like you know we talked about this right like i think it all just comes from a place of water finds a crack right if you have you know something that is going to be if you have something that that is exploitable and people exploit it in a competitive game like you just kind of have to get rid of it because you know it otherwise will 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 end pretty poorly i guess for you do you know what i mean yeah yeah, no, I I, 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 get what you mean. Yeah, like for for every person like me who just wants to do it to be subversive, there's like a hundred other people who will do the thing that is, that is the most, the most efficient, regardless yeah. of how fun it is. Yeah. 
And I do, and I also miss some of like the weird off the wall. Like I kind of miss Mordekaiser being able to take the dragon. Do you remember Ghost Dragon Mordekaiser? Uh, yeah, that was neat. Um, but you know, also also hard to hard hard to deal with. Like you know, very weird and unique way. Yeah, I remember um, when I remember when Mordekaiser was actually like a super terror in the bottom lane. It was just like impossible to like do anything, and he was just running rampant over. Uh, over games characters like that are always like really tough to deal with because it's like how do you do do you you know do you nerf for the competitive scene um do you not like you know Callista is the very worst ad carry but she is always viable and competitive because she's just like so good when you're playing on zero latency um and can have like the kind of super advanced coordination that you get with you know uh, a team of professionals yeah uh that that makes a lot of sense, and now now Mordekaiser is some some other kind of terrifying beast entirely that I don't yeah. quite understand. Yeah, um, wrecks me all the time. Yeah, sends you to the spirit realm or something. I don't fucking understand this bullshit. Um, uh, but uh, I think that's about it for our time today. Um, if you would like to reach out to us and tell us what you think about Gen Con or League of Legends or any other things you talk we talked about on this podcast, you should at some derps play games at gmail.com or some derps or podcast at some derps play games.com or podcast at some derps play dot games. Um, uh, like we mentioned in this episode, we are going to be at Gen Con. Feel free to stay, say hi. If you recognize us, um, if you don't recognize us, just ask random people if we're buddy or if you're buddy or mango and, uh, maybe you'll find us that way. Um, like I said, I have swag. If, uh, if, if you'd like a poker chip, uh, feel free to seek us out. Um, and uh, what else? Oh, send in your questions. This is episode 197. We're doing a big 200-episode spectacular. Uh, we'll probably bother more people for more questions, but send in your questions. We want to answer them. Um, and uh, I think that's everything I had. But did you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In, the, in, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.